Welcome to the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24-9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. I'm joined today by our cybersecurity expert, Greg Johnson from WebCheck. Greg, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. It's an honor, as always, Marty, to be here. It's It's been a little while since we've had you on the pod, and over the last couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to talk to some of our other regular cybersecurity experts about a couple of really high-profile attacks. And now that you're with us, I'd love to get your take on it as well. You know, we had the Colonial Pipeline attack, and we had the, the hack on uh, JBS Meats, one of the largest food producers in the entire world. Uh, you know, I'd just love to get your thoughts on these attacks and what it tells us about how uh, how businesses are looking at and need to look at cybersecurity based on what we've learned from two really high-profile cybersecurity incidents. You bet. My goodness, too, almost where do you start with this? Uh, so much going on. So much was revealed, Marty, with, with these attacks. Um, the reality is these attacks have been going on for a long time. Um, a lot of people, uh, your listeners on this cast, may not realize this, but... Uh, Earlier in this, uh, this decade, the Russians took down the Ukrainian power grid. It was a group called Sandworm. And many of the experts think that that was just a dress rehearsal for what we're starting to see now. Um, so what's interesting about the Colonial Pipeline attack is that, ironically, they were advertising for a cybersecurity specialist to hire before they were attacked. And obviously there were some ducks in a row that weren't in a row. <laughs> um, apparently there was uh, the, the ransomware attack was done through VPN access that did not have multi-factor authentication turned on. Um, and, and the credentials to get into the VPN were probably as a result of a fish. So what do we learn from that? Well, not only were there some technical controls missing, but there probably weren't policies Practices and procedures that led to security awareness, security awareness training. Uh, in, interestingly enough, Marty, I, we're doing a cybersecurity summit uh, on June 30th coming up here. And one of my CISOs is talking about this very thing, what she's learned over the years uh, in all of the audits and maturity assessments she's done and what controls are commonly missing and probably would have helped uh, not only Colonial Pipeline, but the JBS uh, meat supply issue as well. Anyway, I'll pause there, but uh, those are some critical issues that we need to understand. Well, those are some interesting details you add in uh, about uh, sort of the backstory on those hacks. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, your specialty or, or one of the areas you focus in is penetration testing. It, it, are those the types of mistakes that a, a, an organization like these two that were hit could have prevented if they were doing some regular testing of their of their attack vectors and, and where they're potentially vulnerable? You know, in many instances, that is exactly right, Marty. Um, in this case, it might not have been. Our penetration test may have come in, and, and it may have shown a secure VPN. The, the key there, though, was that they didn't have that second factor of authentication turned on, and, and that credentials um, were fished. Now, we, we do do social engineering, though. Had they had a social engineering engagement as part of a penetration testing routine, which many organizations hire us to do, uh, then they can find out exactly how vulnerable they are, how vulnerable is vulnerable, right? And it doesn't matter how 
uh, technologically or policy-wise, you've got things locked down. If you click on dumb stuff, <laughs> bad stuff's going to happen, right? Yeah. Well, so I guess all that to say uh, that kind of a, a social engineering uh, practice uh, at least once a year probably would have helped in, in, in this uh, in this case. But but in many organizations, you know, it's not just hardware, it's software. You think of all the SaaS platforms out there, SaaS, software as a service. You know, you log into your banking portal. Uh, you log into so many different things. Uh, we use QuickBooks in our business. We use Salesforce. We use all these things. And, and there are a thousand different applications out there. Right? We pen test a supply chain company. We, we pen test all these different payment processing and other applications. And they're vulnerable. Every single time we test them, even in a renewal test every year, we find stuff. And, and that's where hackers can get in as well. So companies that choose not to do that, well, they just don't understand what they're missing, and uh, some bad actor is going to find it, get in, and and the rest will be history. Yeah, I've I brought this up with a couple of our other guests in relation to the pipeline attack uh, and the uh, JBS meets attack. That what was interesting or stood out to me is that this was an this was these were both instances where the hackers didn't just sort of attack the victim, but there was a ripple effect that hit more of the general public. And I think we all remember seeing the photos of people uh, pumping gas into plastic bags, you know, when they thought there was going to be a fuel shortage. And uh, and then, you know, uh, food prices, meat prices going up that in a way, it's always felt like the hackers, uh, the hackers generally, and I know that's painting with a broad brush, but the hackers generally is saying, we're going to go hit a victim, we're going to lock them up with ransomware, or we're going to collect our money. And then making an adjustment when, the, when more companies had backups in place to say, all right, we're also going to take out your data, and then we're going to sort of blackmail you with the data. They're going to find a way to get their money. But the damage was somewhat contained to the company they had victimized. And in both of these instances, it's like they went after and they got they got the pipeline and they got their money and then lost some of what they collected. And then they, you know, they go after JBS and they get, you know, I think it was reported an $11 million ransom on that. Uh, so they're collecting their money, but for the first time they were sort of hurting innocent bystanders, so to speak. And I just wonder if that gets them out of their sweet spot where, you know, eventually what they probably don't want is to wake up the, the general public to, Hey, this is a real problem and I want businesses to deal with this or the government to deal with this in a way that they maybe are not right now. So I I'd just love to get your take on that, that, uh, it, it seems like a bad decision on the hackers part to sort of start collecting collateral damage when they're probably pretty profitable flying under the radar. Yeah. Well, one thing you have to understand is this, this hack did exactly what it was intend, intended to do. It was a test and it was another shot across the bow, just like the Ukrainian uh, power grid. I can tell you that those hackers weren't really interested in the money. Here's what happens. The Russians were behind this and there's a lot of intel and tele telemetry, but what they do is they hire, you know, the GSU or the FRU or whatever Russian intelligence arm uh, initiates these things is they'll go out and hire a group or they'll in obfuscation uh, there, there will be a group that, that they're paying to do these things and uh, you know sure 11 million dollars or whatever that's that's a bonus uh, but what the real intent was is to let America know that that we get we have you and I'm raising the red flag here our infrastructure is vulnerable and these, you know, these were coordinated attacks. Sure, there's groups out there that are going to ask for, you know, uh, $43,000 in Bitcoin. And they're going to, 
you know, there are hacker kids that can buy ransomware kits off the dark web, which is a thing, right? So all kinds of small businesses need to beware because it's a thing, right? But these were not that. Um, these were nation state initiated. We're going to see more of them. And in fact, the, you know, this may have been your next question, but I'll just go there now. Um, as a result of this, the Biden administration came out and said every business in corporate America needs to be concerned about their cybersecurity and take measures to stop this, <laughs> to put into to, to place the practices, uh, the practices and the controls um, so that they're not so vulnerable to these kinds of, uh, of attacks. So, yeah, make no mistake, this this attack was a shot across the bow. Our infrastructure is vulnerable. We've done penetration tests, Marty, on um, I, I can't tell you what state and I can't tell you which company in power grid, but we own them. <laughs> and and there's so much of that. When the Ukraine went down, they, they manually sent their trucks out and got things reset and back up and running. But America, as a technologically advanced you know, society where we've got all of these components that uh, ICS and SCADA controls that interface with the public-facing Internet, <laughs> it's not so easy to just send out the trucks to reset everything. If our power goes down, it's going to go down for a long time. Hmm. Uh, it's really interesting stuff, and, and you know, I, I think of it as uh, it's it's great for an administration to say everyone needs to pay attention to this, and maybe to some extent, you know, you could even pass laws where companies have higher requirements on what their cybersecurity is. But to some extent, you know, the government can say everybody needs to put a lock on their front door, and if you don't do it, you know, you, you're still susceptible to to someone coming in and uh, robbing your house, so to speak. So, hey, you mentioned uh, this event you have coming up uh, this next week on June thirtieth, uh, uh, cybersecurity uh, summit. Give us an idea of of what uh, people can expect there. And then you guys have been uh, great partners on this and we want to give people a way that they can uh, register and, and, and even go attend for free. Thanks. So, you know, Marty, we've all been dying to get out, right? We're all sick of COVID. Utah uh, got in front of this, as you know, and, and we're, we're doing really well. And uh, it opened up quite some time ago. And so we pulled together very quickly a cybersecurity conference uh, on, on June 30th. It's all day. There is nothing in North America going on right now. In fact, I, I thought maybe I was a liar because I've been saying that. I got an email from, oh, I believe it was uh, Fortinet or some company. Hey, attend our conference. But then I realized virtual, right? Yeah. Everything got canceled. So there's, there's no conferences going on right now until the fall. And so we're really excited about this. People can come and face-to-face. -face, they can network. They can hear speakers. Uh, we've got speakers that, as I mentioned, are talking about these, these attacks and, and what they can do in their organization to avoid them. We've got some vendors that are going to be there that have phenomenal technologies uh, from uh, uh, network traffic analysis to data at threat analytics that can alert people to things that are going on in their environment. Uh, we've got sponsors like Nexus IT, which is a premier white glove. IT provider that uh, that from the technical side can implement some of these controls. I, I mean, I don't I don't want this to be an infomercial, but it, we're really excited about it. Uh, the sessions, um, all they need to do is go to webcheckSecurity.com, 
and they'll get a pop-up that will ask them if they're interested in learning more and they can register right there. And to anyone who's hearing this podcast, all they need to do is reach out to me, um, uh, get in touch at webcheckSecurity.com and we'll send them a free code so they don't have to pay the $50. We just want them there. Uh, we're excited to have, uh, have this going on. Yeah. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll make that even easier. If you go to webcheckSecurity.com and enter the promo code security, you can get a free registration to the event. So that's uh, a nice, easy way to get in. So uh, we appreciate the partnership on that and being able to give out some, uh, some admission to the event and, uh, looking forward to it very much. Uh, you want to stick around for one more segment? You okay to hang on for the end of the show? Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a break. First, a reminder, Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with the drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. Listen, IT leaders, I know how hard it is to manage your security posture. With dozens of different security technologies that vary in process, application, and response, wouldn't it be nice if you had security baked right into your actual server hardware? HPE's Gen 10 servers offer exactly that. As Utah's biggest HPE Platinum partner, Valcom believes that your server infrastructure should be a priority in your defensive strategy. Protect your organization with innovations in firmware protection, malware detection, and firmware recovery right down to the silicone. Learn more and check out Valcom's on-demand webinar with HPE at vlcm.com slash server dash security. That's vlcm.com slash server dash security. At Valcom, they know IT departments are overwhelmed with too many technologies to manage, too many alerts to weed through, and have too little staff to do it all. To help lighten the load while eliminating blind spots, Valcom highly recommends adopting Aruba ClearPass into your environment. From IoT to an always-on mobile workforce, especially now, organizations are more exposed to attacks than ever before. With Aruba ClearPass, you can get agentless visibility and dynamic role-based control for seamless security enforcement and response across your wired and wireless networks. How's that for making things easier? As a Platinum Aruba partner holding the Aruba ClearPass specialization, Valcom has the highest certified engineers to design, implement, and test your ClearPass environment. Learn more or request a free consultation by visiting vlcm.com slash clearpass that's vlcm.com slash clearpass welcome back to the cyber 24 podcast presented by valcom we continue our discussion with greg johnson of webcheck uh greg the wall street journal reported this week an interesting number i thought that they estimate that spending on digital identity verification is going to increase to 16.7 billion dollars by 2026 that's up from $9.4 billion this year. You know, a billion here, a billion there. It starts to be real money. But when you get up to, uh, you're talking about essentially doubling spending on digital identity verification, uh, and that, that according to Juniper Research. You know, they say that the increase is due to widespread use of online products and services. Of course, that's the reason. But this tells me that more businesses are starting to take security seriously. You know, you don't you don't go from nineteen or nine point four billion to sixteen point seven billion by just a handful of companies deciding to take this seriously. That to me would show a trend that people are saying, businesses are saying, we need to get a real grip on who can access what data that we have 
in place. And I just would love to get your take on, on what that number says to you. Well, it says to me that uh, digital identity is going to be important now and in the future. I love my MacBook Pro, for example, because I can use my, my fingerprint mm-hmm. to, to biometrically authenticate in. You know, same thing with my with my iPhone. And, and uh, you're going to see a lot more of that um, in, in dual-factor products coming out and biometric products, things that will scan your face, things that will scan uh, your, your, your fingers, and, and things that will require you to have um, a certificate, um, as well as IP geolocation uh, and things of that nature. I use a VPN. In fact, it's on right now, right? And, and things seem to be working fine, and that's great. That VPN um, keeps my traffic encrypted in a tunnel as I go through my corporate firewall and, and out to the world. Um, and, and so you're going to see a lot more of these products um, coming in because it's not just about passwords anymore. Right. It used to be, hey, Marty, you've got to have a password that's at least seven characters in length. Yeah. And then they came out like the PCI Council and others and said, well, seven's good. But NIST is now saying that a passphrase is even better. Um, but even that's not enough, because now you have quantum computers that potentially can brute force things uh, in, a, in a manner in which we didn't have possible before. So how do you protect yourself? Well, there's got to be additional layers of authentication. It's just not about the password anymore. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing to me. I, you know, we're 135 episodes into this podcast. And when I started, I was one of those guys that probably used the same password for way too many things and have gone through and corrected that at the encouragement of pretty much every guest we've ever had on here. And, you know, even using a password manager now that will generate, you know, 99 character random uh, passwords to make them even even more secure. I still find times I found it even just this week. I had to go get uh, a repair done on something, and the you know I had to access my online account with that company, and you know it, somehow we'd gotten a mix up uh, with the tech as far as what my saved password was. So I had to reset it and went to reset it. And even even Apple trying to give you that um, sort of strong password that the iOS keychain does. Uh, you know, the, the website for this company popped back and said, sorry, your password can't be more than 15 characters. And it's like, why would you limit my ability to make my password stronger to protect me and your system? Like, don't, don't mess around with that. I, I've just, I didn't understand why it had to be shorter. And, uh, you know, those types of yeah. things still pop up. And even then, you know, I'm accessing it on my phone, most likely. So why why don't you just say, okay, I put my password in, now I'm set. And do I want to use my face, my very unique face, you know, not pretty, not handsome, but, but unique face to access your account? It just seems like it's something that's underutilized by so many businesses. And, and you know, just mind-boggling that someone would limit to 15 characters in a password. Yeah, that just tells me that, that when they designed that software, it was probably five, six years ago, they'd never updated that part mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that it can never seem to remember my password, even you know, even when it's in the keychain, and I'm like, I can tell that this is how many characters you've limited me to. I'm pretty sure this is what the password was. That's what it is, and it still doesn't seem to take it. So, you know, we, some companies have uh, uh, further to travel in this than others do that's for sure but uh uh, really interesting to me to see that spending on this type of thing is going to go up so significantly and i i get just a general sense and and maybe it's driven in large part in in mass for the general public by apple's focus on this so many people have an iphone 
So many people use iPads. And Apple's focus on sort of putting security front and center and control of where your data is tracked and so on is maybe helping push this to the forefront of people's minds. And certainly it would seem that a number where you're going from, you know, almost $10 billion in spending to almost $17 billion in spending would be uh, would indicate that companies are starting to take this seriously. Does that track with what you're seeing more and more businesses saying, hey, we've got to get this under control? Yeah, it, it, it does. And, and I do a number of consultation calls uh, with New York investment uh, private equity groups that will ask me about the cyber assurance and assessment uh, market. And uh, one call in particular was about um, uh, identity access management, where I saw it going, uh, whether or not it was going to increase. Uh, it, it was an interesting call. And so, yeah, if New York investment capital firms are interested in it, then you know there's something there. They've done their research, and, and they're continuing to bet that out. So, yeah, I, I've, I see that trend. Uh, Greg, you want to make one more plug for the event this uh, coming week? You bet. Thank you, Marty. We're, we're so excited to have our Salt Lake City uh, Cyber Summit sponsored by WebCheck Security. Um, on, uh, I believe, is that Wednesday? On uh, June 30th? Is that a Wednesday? I yeah, lose that track. is a Wednesday. Yeah, so look at the calendar quickly. This next Wednesday, this Wednesday, June 30th, all day long, it's in that fantastic uh, Larry H. Miller uh, Megaplex Theater Complex uh, where there's breakout rooms, there's a 500-seat theater. We expect to have anywhere from 200 to 300 people there. Uh, there will be vendors exhibiting. Uh, I believe, Marty, you guys are a uh, Cyber24 as a sponsor. Uh, we, we, we love Cyber24 uh, and uh, many other good, good sponsors. We've, we've, we've got Romaine Marshall, for example. You know Romaine, I believe. I do. Uh, Armstrong Teasdale. The best privacy attorney in Utah, for sure. Absolutely. In the Western United States. He, he's fantastic. He's going to be there. Uh, he has a session. Uh, we have CISOs that are speaking. One of my other CISOs is going to be talking about how do you develop an agile um, cybersecurity program in your organization. And, and, and so there's just some great, great content. Uh, and, and Marty, where do they go to, to find out that information? They can go to webcheck, uh, webcheckSecurity.com, and then when you uh, register, go ahead and enter the code SECURITY to get your free registration. So thanks to WebCheck for providing that to our listeners as well. There you go. All right. Uh, as we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team, whether you're a startup or an enterprise. Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at VLCM.com. That's VLCM.com. Special thanks, of course, to Greg Johnson and WebCheck Security, as well as our supporting partners at the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kemsey Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. Uh, our friends at Secuvant and the Utah Attorney General's Office and the Utah Department of Public Safety. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe online.